Slip, an Atlanta sports podcast for the true ATL, and I am the host, Brandon Baird. You can follow me on Twitter at Beardian underscore Slip. It's been a while. We kind of went away when sports went away, but we are back. I got some news later on today that I'll be telling y'all about, about some of the new things that we will be doing as a part of the slip, but we got a lot to get to before that. Uh, We got a little bit of Braves talk. We got a little bit of Falcons talk. um, And then we'll definitely get to my final thoughts. But first, I got to tell you what I'm slipping on. You don't want to piss them off. Here is what you're slipping on. So I'm slipping on Atlanta United. And I think it's very obvious why I'm slipping on Atlanta United. Because they had no energy. They had no fire this season. In the MLS is back tournament, something that when you look at the team of 2018, the team of 2019, hell, even the team in 2017, the inaugural team, you look at them and saying, that's a tournament they can win. That's a tournament that they should be able to dominate. And you look at them and what they did in that tournament is what they did is they put shame on Atlanta's name. Not only were they unable to win a game, not only were they unable to pull a point in a game, they were unable to score in a game. And quite frankly, it's a great thing that that happened because it got Frank DeBoer out of town. The culture of Atlanta has nothing to do with Frank DeBoer, and he brought that down. You can tell by just how things were going um, from the 2018 team to the 2019 team. Now, they were still a good team in 2019. Um, You know, a team that definitely won a trophy. They won two trophies. They won the Champions Cup. And then they also won the U.S. Open Tournament. And those are very big deals. They came a little bit short in the playoffs by making the semifinals. um, In a game that they really should have won. um, That Toronto won on two amazing goals. But those are good teams. It continued to go sour in 2020. Now, we can also say that the loss of Joseph Martinez was really big. It was. You know, he is a former MVP. The only reason he wasn't a two-time MVP is because, um, you know, someone else had um, a, a few more goals than him. But he's constantly a top three person in the league. And when he goes down, that's going to affect your squad a lot. But what happened is that it affected the squad a lot more than anybody could have anticipated. You thinking that someone like an Ezekiel Barco or a P.T. Martinez is going to step up and do a little bit of something, and that was not the case. Barco seemed to be hurt most of the time. Martinez never really found that stride as the person that they would look to to score goals. And it was a shame. And now it turns out that they shipped Gonzalo Martinez to Saudi Arabia. It's just disappointing. That's 
what Atlanta United showed this season is not the brand of of soccer that Atlanta United has ever been about. It's it was absolutely shameful. In 2018, they won 21 games. In 2019, they won 18 games. In 2020, although they played 11 fewer games, they only won 6. They also lost more games than in 2019 when they lost 12. They lost 13 this year. In 2018, they scored 70 goals. In 2019, they scored 58. In 2020, they scored 23 goals. Now, I'm not sure if you enter in the CONCACAF or not, what those numbers would be. But if you just look at MLS competition um, from the regular season, they average less than a goal a game. It doesn't take a rocket science to know that that's not going to get you anywhere close to having a winning squad. But what's worse than that, they were a boring squad. And that, I hope, is a brand that I hope will always go away from Atlanta. We'll be back with some Braves talk after this. You're listening to The Slip with Brandon Baird. All right, we are back with The Slip, an Atlanta sports podcast for the true AT alien. And it is time for some Braves talk. Now, this segment is going to be pretty tough, if you ask me, because um, the season is over, of course, um, and the ending to the season was not something that I think anybody could have imagined. Um, And in no way do I think this season is a failure. Um... But I do think that you can make the case that this season ended in a slight disappointment. Um, Atlanta making it to the National League Championship Series is something that I think many people were thinking as the baseline of what needed to happen that if they don't make it to the National League Championship Series, then some shaking up needs to be done. And, you know, that hurdle that they have been going through since 2001 um, was still apparent um, because, you know, um, there's been so many times throughout the years, you know, you can think about 2012, you can think about 2000. Um, 11, um, you could think about 2010, um, where you think that the Braves had good enough teams to do something and make some damage in, in the playoffs. And then it turned out that nothing happened, that they'd lose in the division series, 
um, they use in that fretful, stupid um, joke of a playoff called the uh, wild card game. Um, and, you know, especially going against the Astros, and I think that was 05, where just a battle. Um, it, it just never seemed like things were going their way. Um, and they were able to get over that hurdle. Now, this is why this season can be looked at as a slight disappointment. Um, you look at the team that won the World Series, and this is a team that the Braves were up 3-1 to one in the National League Championship Series. Um, and up three to one, and you knew what you had to do for the next three games. And you had to win one of those next three games. You had a bullpen game. You had your ace with Max Fried going up. And then you had Ian Anderson. And, you know, whatever you want to say about the pitching in the National League Championship Series and the NLCS, I'd say it was beyond what we could have imagined, especially going up against a lineup such as the Dodgers. You know going into those games that one run isn't going to cut it. You know you aren't going to shut them out. You know that the deeper you go into games and you start putting up zeros on the board inning after inning, you know that they are going to put up either one run or a crooked number by way of the home run ball or just putting together a rally. That is something that you know that they are capable of. And the downfall in this NLCS was actually one of the Braves' biggest strengths, which was their bats. Uh, the way that they carried themselves the last three games of the of that series um, well, it was just disappointing. It it was not the team that we had grown to love. It is not the team that you would think would just fall flat like they did. Um, and it's crazy that you can look at these things and say the, 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 the last two games of that series are the biggest case that momentum is actually a thing. In the sense that the Braves started out those games and did what they needed to do. They put runners up on the board. But when they were given a chance to really go up on the Dodgers and to really put it away and to really make it difficult for the Dodgers to come back and put a lot more pressure on their hitters, they fell flat. And they fell flat with basement running mistakes. Just inexcusable base running mistakes. You know, you can look at game six and the Azuna situation where you're like, my goodness, ah, it's tough, but you got to wait till the ball hits the guy's glove. You cannot make the assumption that 
He's, that Mookie Betts is not going to make the catch. You can't make the assumption that no right fielder is going to make is not going to make the catch. It's just not safe. But then in that situation, it not only messed up how the inning was going, but it led to one more out necessary than what needed to happen. And the same thing happened in game seven when Austin Riley was caught in no man's land. You have second and third no outs and they get a double play with no run scored? It's just inexcusable. You know, they get one out that play and the best case scenario for the Braves is that you still have runners on second and third with with one out. You could still get a sack fly. You can still get a hard hit ball up the middle of the infield and score a run. There were way too many situations, that way too many possibilities in that situation that could have happened, that could have helped that the Braves immensely. And it just didn't happen. And then after those situations in the games, the offense just fell flat. An offense that was known to put up runs and the brand of baseball where they would be competitive and have competitive at-bats throughout the end of the game, that didn't happen. It just seemed like in those last three games, the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning of those games, uh, the Braves were non-factors. They couldn't put up a run. And if you can't put up a run in those situations, quite frankly, you don't deserve to win. And those are situations where you most likely are not going to win. And the thing is, in those situations, they only needed to put up one run. To either at least tie the game. And they just weren't able to do it. Just disappointing to say the least. And they, they gave themselves such a good shot to continue their run within that playoff. And they just couldn't finish it. Now, another big thing that was happening in that series is that Okunya was not hitting as we use we usually see him hitting. And I think that's a a big factor to why the Braves could not put up runs in different situations and why they couldn't get rallies going. But I also think he was a lot more hurt than what was leading on. I think that um, you look at his wrist and the injury of the wrist, that's not something that is easily just going to go away in a little bit of time. And when it started to flare up again towards the end of the season, I think that made it harder for him to really put the power that we're used to seeing Acuna put power into balls. And he just wasn't able to drive the ball as we usually see him. Um, you know, he wasn't able to work through the ball. We saw a lot of pop-ups or in 
and kind of lazy fly balls to the outfield. And it's not an exaggeration to say that those balls are usually balls that are either home runs or balls that are not being caught by um, by the outfielders. Those are balls that are usually being driven all over the field. Um, and that is definitely an underrated instance that I think that contributed to the Braves not being able to finish the series. Um, you know, I think it's a little bit overblown to say, you know, oh, you're up 3-1 um, and, you know, you blew a 3-1 lead. You know, it's it's not it's not easy to win four games. And I think the better team ended up winning for what the circumstances were. But that doesn't mean the, the team that lost was not good enough to beat that better team. And that and, and that's why in that situation, you could say that that series was slightly disappointing. Now, the other part is the management within the series. And this may be a little bit nitpicky, um, but I think that it could have at least led to a possibly different result in these situations. And that's how... Brian Snicker managed the bottom of the lineup. We had one catcher start every single game behind the play. And when you look at the NLCS and you look at Darno's production in the NLCS, you have to wonder, was he a little bit tired? Could he have used a break in the form of of just being a DH for the game? We had a backup catcher. But no, no other lineups were, were trotted out. They were used the same lineup every single game. Or there was no variation. You know, Duval, we could say that because he got injured, but there was no variation. You know, I, why not give Flowers a spot and bench Marcakis? Because Marcakis is not the hitter that he once was. And quite frankly, he has been the most disappointing person in the playoffs throughout his whole Braves career. That man has not done anything in the playoffs. Like, he's had a few all right hits, and it's like, damn. It, they, they look lucky as shit most of the time. And it's just like the man was getting easily overpowered by the fastball and he looked like he had no confidence. So why not give Flowers a chance in those situations? Because you saw how many important at-bats that the, the lineup spot that Marcakis was in. And in none of the big, high-leverage situations did he come up clutch. He just didn't have it. And so if you're telling me and looking at me and you're saying that Flowers couldn't have done even just a little bit better than that, then I'd say that you're absolutely wrong. 
And you should probably get off Marquecas' jock. Because there's no reason that Marquecas should have gotten the number of big, big at-bats that he got in those situations. It was just absolutely disappointing. So you add up the base running mistakes that definitely affected the morale and momentum of the Braves. You look at one of their best hitters in Acuna not being able to hit like he's used to. And then you look at the inability of Brian Snicker to just throw out someone new. All those things add up to them losing three games in a row by less than two runs. Or two runs or less, actually. So if you're going to look at this season and say it was a slight disappointment, I'm going to agree with you. But there are some big things that also did happen in this season. It's not a failed season in any sorts. Freddie Freeman got his much-deserved MVP. And that, that's just huge. Um, as a player in the major leagues, I've never, been, I've never seen someone so underrated by the media. And you can look at every other, all the players in the MLB, speak of Freddie, that they know what he's about. There is an ESPN game where the Braves were playing the Phillies and Bryce Harper was like, yeah, Freddie is is one of the most underrated um, players um, in the league. He does so much. And the broadcast booth just ignored it and just moved past it. And, you know, to see him get the MVP votes um, by a pretty overwhelming majority is just great to see. He wasn't great against lefties this season, and he usually is. Um, But I think that speaks more to how dominant he was overall, that he can put up the numbers that he put up while also being possibly slightly below average against lefties. But you also have to look at the situations where they weren't giving as many at-bats against lefties, and he was also facing some of the best lefties that teams had to offer because they were so scared of Freddie, and rightfully so. And that should speak as much to the talent of Freddie Freeman as anything else. And, you know, I hope that he can continue to put up these numbers. I think this is this season, last season, maybe even the season before um, is definitely the prime of Freddie. We're seeing his potential and that potential is substantially more than what a lot of people expected Freddie to do. I hope that 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 this doesn't mean that his decline is is soon. But the way he hits and how good he hits um, opposite field and how he's able to pick and choose his pitches and he's able to walk, I don't see that decline coming soon. 
And if we do see a little bit of decline, he's so good that it's not even going to look like much. But I tell you what the Braves need to do. They got to make sure that he has that protection with Ozuna. I think no matter if there's a DH or not, the Braves need to sign Ozuna. The bat that he showed this season is well worth the money. And Liberty Media needs to stop acting like they don't have the money. They have the money. Especially with that bum Cole Hamels coming off the books. And the money that you're already paying Ozuna. There's money there to pay him. And to pay him what he wants. And if that means that there's a, either a season or two before the DH inevitably, inevitably becomes universal, that that's what needs to happen, then okay, pay him. He's worth it. These are not the situations to look at players who want to be an organization and fit well within an organization and put up MVP numbers. And the only reason he didn't get an MVP is because his his teammate was that much better than him. So right now, my number one priority for the Braves, re-sign Ozuna to a four-year deal and give him as much money as he wants. This is The Slip with Brandon Baird. All right, it's time to get into a little bit of Falcons talk. I'm not sure how long this segment will be because, quite frankly, this season has been a disaster. It has been frustrating. It has been incoherently stupid. And overall, it has been enjoyable to watch. I find myself, even in games when they win, more frustrated. And in games when they lose, flabbergasted and sad. And the biggest part about this is it doesn't matter what you do in the second half of the season. You are still the same team as you were in the first part of the season. And sometimes teams can get better and improve over the season. But quite frankly, Dan Quinn should have been fired last season. He should not have been brought in for another chance to go at this. And his biggest, there's two reasons why he shouldn't have been brought back. First part is the defense. Is just as horrible as it's ever been. He's a defensive-minded coach. Or so he says he is. He has never been in the top half of the league in terms of any defensive rating. Collective rating, that is. He obviously does not know how to manage games to a point 
to where he has the lead and knows how to hang on to it. And quite frankly, he does not know how to pick offensive coordinators after Kyle Shanahan because Sarkeesian was a coach who depended too much on college principles. And you can tell that in the game as he expected players to just win rather than setting them up to be in situations where they can win routes when he was coming into play designs. And then he goes to a coach that has never, ever done well in the second year of his his seat um, as an offensive coordinator in Dirk Cutter. Dirk Cutter calls games as someone who thinks he's smarter than everybody else and it is absolutely not. He is the person that thinks he is doing everything right and the other side of the team is laughing at him because they're like, yo, we figured this guy out five years ago, 10 years ago. He's, he's just, it's so easy to figure Cutter out. And his play calling is so mundane. And it's so predictable that he's just lucky he has so much talent on the offense. And it, it's just crazy because when you're looking at expected points per play, per down, on first down, Matt Ryan ranks fifth. On second down, he ranks 25th. On third and fourth down, he ranks fifth. That means he's good enough, but that second down play calling is usually so terrible. There's another stat on essentially looking at which teams are the least effective and calls the most second down runs on second and long. The Falcons are the worst or second worst in both categories. It's just like, oh my goodness. With this Madden play calling, he... Dirk Cutter really thinks, oh my goodness, this second down draw is going to be the time it's going to work. And it never does. So I hear people always talking about Matt Ryan is the problem and those people are just completely incorrect. I think they don't know how to look at a football game and diagnose what the problems are. I think they're so short-sighted on what it takes to make a team good. And I think they're so hopeful that any QB other than their QB is going to be good. And you can tell that that's just not the case. There's so many teams that go years without finding a QB. You can't you can't look at prospects. And that's why I think Cutter is the problem. Cutter's always been the problem. That doesn't excuse the defense. But you'd also want to hope that your offense can be a little bit better so they can take the pressure off the defense. But they have not been able to do that. 
And that's what leads to these big comeback wins that other teams are getting against the Falcons. That when the Falcons need a long, sustained drive to take off time off the clock and give their poor defense a rest, they can't do it. So what do you expect is going to happen? Slowly and surely throughout the game, the defense is going to break down. More points will be allowed. It makes it tougher and more pressure on the offense to then perform. And when an offense has so much pressure to perform and continue to sustain drives, and the person that's calling the plays is actively working against you, that's what leads to these things happening. Right now, the Falcons are a game and a half out of the playoff spot. You take the three games that they inexplicably lost, they could be leading the division. Going into a game against the division leader who has their bum third-string quarterback starting because a 30-year-old tight end in Taysom Hill is going up against the Falcons. And I'm, I'm honestly scared because the Falcons love making bums look good. You know how many people have jobs because they go against the Falcons and show that they did a little bit of something? Nick Foles should be out of a job. And twice within the past three years has Nick Foles make Atlanta look stupid. One, in the NFC division game against the Eagles, where the Eagles went on to win the, the Super Bowl, where it's a game where the Falcons definitely should have won. But they didn't. And then in that Bears game, where they let that bum fools pass all over them. And it's just inexplicable. So if you ask me if Raheem Morris should stay or go, I think he should go. There's nothing that he has shown me that says this is the right guy for the job. There needs to be a shakeup in Atlanta. And that is something that Raheem Morris is not going to be able to do. So for the rest of the season, something that I hope that they can do is I hope they just stay competitive. And I hope they actually put a good product on the field. If they're so damn good, maybe I can leave a Falcons game and walk away and say, that was a good game. I'm happy I watched that. And until then, I'm not going to be a Falcons fan. This is The Slip with Brandon Baird. So here are my final thoughts. And if you know me, this is something that um, I feel like y'all could see coming. Um, earlier this week, uh, the Miami Marlins announced that they hired Kim Ng as their general manager and what this hiring does it it makes history as she is the first woman to be hired as a general manager this is what she had to do to become a general manager 
She was first hired in 1991 as an intern with the Chicago White Sox full-time. She then became the assistant director of baseball operations in 1995, where she was the first woman to present an arbitration case. In 1998, she was hired as the assistant GM for the Yankees. From there, in 2001, she was hired as vice president and assistant GM for the Los Angeles Dodgers. In 2005, she interviewed for that GM position that was open. She did not get that position, but she was hired as assistant GM to the person that did get the job. Then in 2011, she was hired as the senior vice president of baseball operations for the Major League Baseball, where she worked under Joe Torre. She did that for nine years until 2020, where she was then hired as the GM for the Marlins. You can say that she has been qualified for a GM position for 15 years before she actually got one. There were other times where she was interviewed for a GM job um, scattered throughout the years, but she did not get that. But the thing that we have to stop doing is celebrating these first hires. Whether it's the first woman hire, first African-American hire, first Asian hire, anything of the sorts. We have to see it for what it is. We have to see it as something that should have happened a long time ago, and quite frankly, decades ago. Those have been my final thoughts, and this has been The Slip with Brandon Barry. I'll see y'all later.